I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There is no better group of plants for flower power and forms of the shrubby potentilla. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook here to help with some of your gardening quandaries. You know, nothing gives a garden instant structure and symmetry like a hedge. I love them. And this week, I'll be speaking to a man who's become a specialist in growing hedge plants. From Hope Grove Nurseries in Kent, it's Morris Hankinson. My thanks to Thompson & Morgan, sponsors of this podcast, and to our producer, Charlie Jones. It was a good weekend this week. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the garden and on Monday managed to catch an hour while the sun was out and the sky was blue and got my grass cut. I'll tell you, our front garden now looks as if somebody lives there. Oh, and uh, just a reminder, the uh, Hanami Festival, I hope I've got that Japanese word pronounced right, The Hanami Festival of Blossom is on at Brogdale National Fruit Collection at Faversham in Kent from the 3rd to the 30th. There'll be some uh, early plums and the peaches and apricots might be out, but uh, you need to be a bit later for the pears and the cherries and and the apples. But if you're anywhere down the southeast and you like to see trees in blossom, that's a good place to go. Earlier this week, I made a journey up into Cambridgeshire close onto the edge of the fens and visited the Curly family. I went there to see their latest uh, primrose breeding. Oh, and of course the power daisies uh, and the ruffled winter flowering pansies. Their fully double ballerina primroses are fantastic. They've got them now in ten colours and you know the remarkable thing as I travel about is that nothing stays still. They introduced me to their next development. Double primroses, yes, but this time called Prima Ballerina. They've got three colours, and the yellow, fully double. I mean, the flowers, they must be two inches and more across, and so fragrant. And each of those double flowers has a green ruff around the base. Absolutely fantastic things. I understand that uh, their novelties are selling pretty well in Germany especially and also in Japan and America. It's interesting to me how these different countries have different colours that are popular. Why is that? You would have thought that uh, in the Western world one colour would be popular right the way round. But that certainly isn't the case. The weather's been pretty tricky. I had uh, an email from Royals photographer Arthur Edwards of his camellia just coming into flower. Looks like the lovely pink donation. He was really proud of it. And I had to send him an email very quick to get some old lace curtain or some uh, horticultural fleece over it 
because once those camellia flowers are fully out, if you get a biting cold wind and a bit of frost, boy, they don't like that. Fortunately, with uh, most of our modern camellias, if you do get uh, some fully open flowers browned by the frost, you can just snap those out and there'll be other buds just behind them that once the weather warms, uh, they soon open up and make a really fantastic colour again. I do, uh, you know, really like them. Uh, especially uh, a, a big one I've got, J.C. Wheeler, that's under um, a sort of overhang from the house and I can see it from the dining room window. Great big, fully double pink flowers. Really great they are. There's a new shrub rose too, I hear, coming from Chris Warner. It's going to be called Lest We Forget and will be launched in support of Bomber Command Memorial. I'll be interested to see that. You know, Chris Warner has introduced some really good roses in recent years. I'd like to, to congratulate Peter Catt, our great nurseryman from Liss Forest Nurseries down in Hampshire. He's the man who's uh, introduced Choicier Sundance, and you see that in gardens all over Britain. In the winter, that bright yellow foliage really shines out. And Peter Katz just been awarded the VMH, the Victoria Medal of Honour, by the Royal Horticultural Society, and that's uh, restricted to the number of years for Queen Victoria's reign. So uh, there's only, what is it, 62 or 63 of them. Uh, and Peter quite rightly has one. So congratulations again, Peter. Keep up that good work. He's got a nice pink uh, caryopteris coming out fairly soon, I think. And a lot of other novelties on their way. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> I travel to get to as many exhibitions and trade shows and nurseries as possible. And very recently uh, I went to a biggish exhibition in London where all the new things for the coming year were on show and bumped into a young man uh, called Morris Hankinson. Now Morris was a student at Riddle College at the same time as my colleague on The Sun, Steve Bradley, and I. So. Uh, we could say, Morris, that we're all old students together. Does that make sense to you? It certainly does. I'm still reading from being called a young man, Peter. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> well, as far as I'm concerned, everybody's a young man, you know. <laughs> but, but, Morris, what sort of prompted you to get 
interested first of all before you even went to college to grow things was it just a natural thing uh well i've always been interested in growing things but uh, i suppose it really started from uh, both sides of my family being farmers um so they were a little bit agricultural in their approach to be honest and it was all based around growing vegetables I mean, I was, I, I would, but Morris, I was brought up on a farm, uh, um, and we always thought that farmers made pretty terrible gardeners. You know, I always oh, used. Oh, dreadful! Yeah, yeah. That's shocking. <laughs> I used <laughs> I to. I didn't like to say it, but it's a reality. Yeah, our vegetable patch would all get planted at the same time, treated like a crop of hay or something. <laughs> it would start in the late spring when the weather started drying up, and it would look like a patch of waste ground, and it would get motivated. And all the old cabbage and broccoli plants and sprout plants would get pulled and thrown over the hedge and the cows would go daft for them. And uh, the whole patch would get motivated up again, left for a few days while all the weeds died off and dried up. And then uh, with my parents, it was a case of one row of everything. So you'd have a row of potatoes, a row of rich cucumbers, a row of runner beans, a row of beetroot, carrots, so obviously <laughs> the potatoes would run out fairly quickly, and by September you're pretty sick of these gnarly little knobby cucumbers. <laughs> that sounds like the farming approach. I mean, I always used to tease my relatives, because it was my grandfather's farm, and obviously went to uh, my cousin, that whilst they ranched things over big acres, we horticulturists uh, eked out a living on the headland, you know. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much the truth, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. All I know is that uh, by by the time we got to April the following year, the only row of vegetables left in the patch was purple sprouting broccoli. And I probably don't need to tell you, Peter, by the time it's turning yellow, it's not very nice to eat. <laughs> and that was with just about every meal. <laughs> Put so, me off for life. So what was, the, what, what was the turning point then? I mean, that doesn't sound like a very good starting uh, for a horticulturist. <laughs> well, I was always interested in the process and uh, the sowing the seeds and, uh, and everything else. And uh, ignoring the vegetable patch for a minute, the rest of the garden at our house was looked after by a, a semi-retired gardener, this old chap called Arthur Beasley, and uh, he would come every Thursday morning. And before school, I was but only a bit at infant school, I guess, he would uh, sort of show me how to sow seeds and the more finer and less agricultural points of gardening. And I think that really did sort of kindle uh, my enthusiasm because as time went on, I then got my own little patch of garden and uh, joined the local horticultural society. And I was quite successful, actually. It wasn't a, a very conventional sort of teenager's pursuit, but uh, certainly was very keen and did very well at it. As youngsters, if you did have one person which had some skill and experience and patience as a mentor, it's an enormous help, isn't it? It really is. I, you can't overestimate the importance of it, really. Yeah, without a doubt. Obviously, people in my family, your parents, uncles, grandparents, all played a role. But I think, uh, for me, Mr Beasley was the key to unlocking the interest, definitely. And so then you went on to Rittle College. I mean, was that a good time for you? It was fabulous, yeah, being brought up 
as an only child in a fairly insular childhood and being thrust into college life, it was absolutely fabulous, Peter, I can tell you. Yeah. Um, it was so good, in fact, I nearly got thrown out before my first lecture on the first day. <laughs> That's another story. But, uh, yeah, it was four very good years there with some very good uh, lecturers. We had people like Lance Anderson, was uh, head of horticulture, uh, Michael, John Cullum, and, of course, uh, your good friend and colleague, Steve Bradley, was one of uh, our lecturers as well. He could be a little strict, I rather understand. He could be a little bit uh, a little bit scratchy sometimes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he knows. I pull his leg sometimes because where, wherever we go horticulturally, if Steve and I are together, an ex-student of his, either from Ascombe Bryan or from Riddle or from Pershaw, comes out the woodwork, you know. I mean, he's, so many young people went through <laughs> like his a bunch hands. Of old yeah. yeah. <laughs> so once you'd finished at, uh, at Riddle, then how'd you get into this nursery business? Well... Mum and Dad still had a little farm here, and uh, bear in mind it's 25 acres our site here. In modern day farming terms, it's not a farm at all, really. it just wasn't viable. So uh, I decided I wanted to start my own nursery business right from the word go. So uh, I always say to people, I walked out of Rittle on the 30th of June 1992, and I started Hope Squad Nurseries on the 1st of July. And uh, the rest is history now, nearly 26 years later. Um, at the time, I thought, well, there's a bit of a gap in the market here for these hedging parts. The only hedging you can buy in mail order are these little things that the postman brings and sort of shoves them through your letterbox, practically. So uh, I started Hope's Grove Nurseries, and uh, we started printing our own catalogue and growing our own plants. And uh, slowly but surely, we started selling them. I mean, that's remarkable. There's very few students who, after two or three years at college, actually leave and then the next day start up a business and build it as successfully as you you have done. I mean, you must be very proud of that achievement. (laughs) I wouldn't say it was entirely wise. There's been some hard times, but there's nothing like the enthusiasm of youth, is there? I think it's fair to say that... you know, we started selling plants, made plenty of mistakes, but had plenty of successes too. But I think the big thing for us was that uh, we didn't sell everything when it was small. We had a little bit of discipline and held on to plants and let them grow up a size or two. And before we knew it, we were, that's when the nursery really took off because we didn't just sell a wide range of hedging plants. We had a wide range of sizes as well, which was our unique selling point. So from about the millennium, really, about 2000 onwards, the business really did grow. So we cover about 50 acres now with two sites. How many different kinds of hedging are you growing, do you know? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. What I can tell you is on our website, there's 1,622 product lines. That includes fertiliser and one or two other plants, but I guess there's over well over 100 species. Goodness, yeah. Some of the really popular ones, like Green Beach, there's maybe 50 different sizes if you add up all the different variations and permutations. So what sizes would that be, then, from how small to how big? Uh, if you take the bare root plants, for example, we start with a little 30 to 40 centimetre one-year plant. 
and then they graduate up in different sizes up to two metres. So there's about eight sizes there. And then with the pot-grown beech trees, we start with a one-litre pot, two-litre pot, four-litre pot, a 10-litre, a 15-litre. And then there's maybe three or four sizes in each height grades in each pot size. And then you've got a range of root ball plants. And then you've got the instant hedges as well in different sizes. And so if, if, if you've got a new house come to you, you could put in pretty well an instant hedge at a metre or a metre and a half and more. You could put in an eight, anything between 80 centimetres and two metres as an instant hedge from yeah. the minute it's planted. Yeah. Well, no, I like beech. I've got a beech hedge in my, in my small suburban back garden because I love it this time of the year with the brown leaves. And then, of course, very soon... They just rustle in the wind. Yeah, they, they do, don't they? Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you get the bright green foliage in summer and then really lovely autumn colour. Uh, I love the purple beaches at magical time when the buds just burst and you think it's almost green and then magically over a few days it goes from a wishy-washy greeny purple right through to the beautiful rich purple. It's, yeah. it's just gone in a, in a space of a week or so. Would you prefer beach to hornbeam then? Uh, because uh, beach can get that aphis, can't it? Which uh, Yeah, is... especially when they're a young plant you've just put them in and, it, you know, can be a can be a problem. I prefer hornbeam personally. You do, yes, yeah. because we're uh, we're on clay soil down here, so obviously it's going to be a a better choice if your drainage is a bit compromised. And then, you know, just go through some of your, you know you mentioned beech as a, a big seller. What are the other popular lines? Certainly for us, we're, we're very well known for our laurels. We grow uh, again because we've got quite a heavy clay-based soil here. We grow really nice, bushy, strong, root-board laurel plants. So they're the heavier, bushier plants that are dug up with a ball of actual soil on them. But, but I, um, I, uh, I see laurel a lot more in the last year or two, uh, even down our street. I think three new hedges of laurel have been planted. So yeah. is, is it on the up again, or is that just chance? Or is it I you? I don't think, uh, for us, it never really went out of fashion, feature, to be honest. So... Uh, the only thing we are seeing is the Portuguese laurels becoming a little bit more popular as well. And I've got a bit of a soft spot for that. You can trim it without it because the leaves are a little bit smaller and, uh, you know, gives a nice finish and it's very easy to grow, well, in my got, opinion. And you've got flower on that. You have as well, yeah, if it's not clipped too harshly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's flowers. certainly a very nice plant. And, and then the, these sort of purpley sort of berries. Uh, almost. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's a, it's a plant for all seasons, that one. Certainly uh, becoming more popular. Now, what about the evergreens? Because in my front garden, I have what what, what uh, I very much like is, is an English yew hedge. Uh, you know, and you've, if you cut that straight, boy, I love to see that. It, it responds so it's well to the shears. beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, if yeah. you've got a, a really nice, tightly clipped yew hedge, you can get the edges just razor sharp and it just makes such a foil for other plants it's a, a real architectural statement in its own right yeah. so uh, yeah I'm a big fan of English yew I must say even on clay if you can get the drainage right you can grow a lovely yew hedge on clay or any other soil for that matter I like to see them absolutely straight and I remember the head gardener from Anglesey Abbey they've got some really fantastic hedges and I don't know I think it was National Trust has about eight gardeners there 
and one of the gardeners said to the head gardener, well, we needn't worry about putting a line up here. Nobody's going to see it. And the head gardener said, I'm going to see it. I'll have it straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm also a big fan of some of these other conifers like Sunyas, you know, in the same way as you cut them back into the older wood and, uh, you know, save from the knowledge that they're going to sprout and regenerate again. So we find they're quite popular too. And and, and, and is that the ordinary West Red, Western Red Cedar, that, that Thuya, where am I? Yeah, Thuya Picata atrovirens. Yes, is, is the most popular one we sell, but we also sell Smarag Occidentalis. Now I've got, um, I don't know, 15 foot or 20 foot hedge of Smarag, and it doesn't like the drought. It really suffers yeah, on, on, yeah. on our low Essex rainfall, and, and I wish now that, that I'd planted you all the way round. You know, I've got yeah, you on the front. Yeah, like that. Yeah. I've got you on the front border and then Smarag running between our two houses. Uh, yeah. It's been there for oh, goodness over thirty years, and and as a young hedge, it was fantastic. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's just that natural shape, isn't it, for a hedge? Yeah, and a lovely colour green. They're a better choice than the land eye, I think. Although they still sell a lot of those as well. So uh, don't you think the land eye like children? Well disciplined and kept under control or a joy to everybody, but let loose. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> As a father of five, I totally agree, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with both Thuya and you, if you cut them back right to the trunk, they'll come again, won't they? Exactly, exactly. I know one of the local churchyards here um, reduced these new trees. They must have been 40 feet tall, just down to these stumps of about chin height. And uh, within two or three years, they got these two beautiful lollipops that were these massive trunks, really beautiful. It's remarkable to see you know, the power of regeneration. Yeah, not half. And obviously a, a hedge will do exactly the same thing as well. Just cut it hard back and it will shoot right back to the base. And what advice would you give them about uh, soil preparation? Always be thorough with your soil preparation because it's so much easier to do it before the plants go in than trying to fix it afterwards. That would be my one piece of advice. Yeah, you just have the one chance, don't you? Once they're in. Yeah, get it right first, spare nothing, and uh, you won't be disappointed. I've pinched the gardening gag this week from Amateur Gardening. And quite honestly, they pinched it too because they're repeating a classic from the late Eric Morecambe. It goes, My neighbour asked if he could use my lawnmower, and I told him, Of course he could, so long as he didn't take it out of my garden. Thanks again to our sponsor, Thompson and Morgan. And thanks to you for listening. Enjoy your garden. We'll be back next Thursday. Discover more at sungardening.co.uk Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started.